This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The phenomenon of free has hit many businesses hard, particularly media businesses, argues Saul J. Berman, global and America's leaders for the IBM Strategy and Change Consulting Group and author of Not for Free, Revenue Strategies for a New World. Recently, Knowledge at Wharton and Wharton marketing professor Jerry Wind sat down with Berman to discuss his thoughts on who pays for free content and why new models are essential for success. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Chris Anderson, the editor of Wired, in 2008 wrote a very famous article that was titled Free, Why Zero Dollars and Zero Cents is the Future of Business. Based on the book that you've just written, was he right or wrong? Well, it depends how you want to interpret the question. He suggested that content would increasingly be free and that free was a much better price than near free. Well, I'm arguing that somebody is paying for it somewhere. So in some cases, it may be free to the end consumer, but the point is it's not really for free. It's being paid for maybe by an advertiser, maybe by a sponsor, maybe by somebody that wants access to a group of people for other purposes or somebody who's bundling it with other products or services they offer. But in one form or another, it's not free. Somebody's paying for it and somebody's seeing that the people who create the content uh, will continue to create that content and be reimbursed for it. Now, in the case of the music industry, which was one of the uh, first examples of disruption, we can see in our analysis that music is worth more than it ever was. It just doesn't go to the music companies anymore. Uh, The value of music goes to the people who make devices for you to listen to your music on. It goes to the cell phone companies that enable you to download music. It goes to the concert promoters who now, uh, since there's more sharing of music out there, people know more about the artists, and in many cases the attendance for concerts has gone up and more revenue is being made there. So overall the amount of revenue has actually increased, and it's really not for free, though it may at times be free or perceived to be free, not that that's appropriate or legal to the end consumer. Though, again, there's always been advertising. Some of these models have always been out there where you can get things without direct payment. Let, let me push back just slightly, sure. very, very gently on, on, on this Please issue. Do. Where, uh, so let, let's take a company like Google that provides Gmail for free. It helps to... Uh, build a massive audience, but it doesn't really charge the consumer, but at the same time it is able to monetize the traffic through the the advertising that it is able to sell alongside the mm-hmm. emails. So is there anything wrong with that sort of a model? Well, when you say wrong, I'm not sure we're into uh, qualitative judgments here or ethical judgments or economic arguments. Uh, we would suggest from an economic perspective that the uh, people are in business generally to make money, so somebody's making money out of the equation. The people who are creating the content are somehow making money, or they wouldn't be able to sustain their business in the long term. So, again, back to my music uh, company examples, if the 
music companies themselves don't find a way to monetize the content they're involved with. Either they won't be part of the equation or they'll have to participate in more so than they do today in some of these other revenue streams. So we argue not only is it about how much is the total pie of money being associated with content that's created, but it's also who gets that money. So in many cases, what we're seeing is the the money is shifting to other people because the business models are changing. But in Google's case, it's still Google that makes the money, mm-hmm. just not on the email, but mm-hmm. on the advertising. Mm-hmm. And and so that's where the question comes up. So What's, I, what's wrong with that? I, I don't see anything's wrong with that. I mean, that's a business model or business proposition. Uh, you know, I use the example in the book of the Gillette razor blade model. Historically, what Gillette did was give you the razor for free or near free, and you paid forever for the expensive blades, on which they made a very nice profit. Well, what Apple did when they created the first iToy, as I call it, the iPod, uh, was basically they gave you the music for free or near free, uh, 99 cents. That was the equivalent of the blades. They shared that money with the music companies very nicely, 70, 75%. But all of a sudden, the razor or the device to listen to the music on became very expensive, and they kept all the money on that. So, you know, they shifted the proposition, and there's the opportunity in each of these innovations around different mechanisms for compensation, whether they be payer or they be pricing or, you know, a different model, there are going to be opportunities for the value to shift. Uh, Jenny, if I could turn to you for a question. Uh, isn't it, uh, do, do you think that sometimes the case that what is perceived to be free is actually paid for, but in terms of information rather than cash? And is there any mm-hmm. value to that? Again, the question is from whose point of view? Right. Uh, if you look at it from a consumer point of view, consumer... Um, I would suspect most consumers will perceive uh, the products they get for free as free because they don't see the advertisement as a payment from their point of view. So if you look at this from a consumer point of view, uh, free may be a great component of the value proposition of the firm. But I think the the key point that uh, Sol is making and what I really like in the the book is the idea that uh, start paying attention to the business model and the revenue model and how are you going to make money eventually? And your example before of Google is a great example. The overall Google proposition of the business model is still very valid, and they make money of this. So, you know, can they make more money if they'll start charging for Gmail or for some of the other components? It's a different question. Uh, but uh, there is real value in uh, focusing the attention of management on what is your revenue model, how are you going to make money here, and look at this in the broader context. And we say you have to look at the broader, as Jerry's saying, consumer experience. And that experience is the combination of content, hardware, and software. And it's the integration of those pieces and the creation of the experience that often gets the value. So the challenge is who's going to control that value in these different mechanisms for monetizing it. Is it going to be the hardware company? Is it going to be the software company? Is it going to be the content company? Is it going to be a fourth party that puts all those propositions together and you know that's where the interesting challenge is and the opportunity to make more money even though as you say it may be free to the end consumer in terms of the direct pricing model there may be indirect payment by somebody else or otherwise to monetize. 
And I know you focus a lot on workable business models in your book. Uh, when it comes to business models for information goods, do you think that free could be one price point along a continuum of prices for information goods? Well, yes, there can be a free-to-the-consumer model for the basic service, and then you try to get everybody to trade up to what Chris calls a freemium model, where you charge more for additional services. So let's take uh, you know some of what's happening in more traditional, what I call Adams products as opposed to Bits products. Take an automobile, which we talk about in the book as well, increasingly. The value add in an automobile includes the sensors, actuators, and intelligent information that comes from them. So we can now provide help with navigation. We can provide entertainment services. We can provide concierge or restaurant reference services in the car now. And increasingly, just like the car companies may have made money in the past for selling you aftermarket service on your vehicle. Now they've improved the quality of the vehicle, and they may make more money from these subscription-based entertainment or other types of concierge and information services, and that may be where they make a lot of their money in the future. Now, you know, who gets the money out of that is still an open question, but the adoption of the information sensors and actuators and connectivity, those devices can, can now control the refrigerator or the washing machine or the heat or the security system in your house at the same time. So there's a world of possibility opening up, and the question is, how will that work as every product becomes more information-based? Uh, well, one, one industry that has been hugely disrupted uh, by free content is, of course, the publishing industry. Uh, what are your thoughts on survival strategies? Uh, maybe Jerry, you would... I'd like, like to hear what Jerry has to say on this one. <laughs> Um, well, first of all, let, let's link it back to the previous question in terms of um, digital products or information products and uh, kind of a single price or continue. I don't see really any distinction between information products or digital products in general and regular products in terms of product line. But you have to start thinking about a product line offering. Product line could be from zero, from free to whatever prices. Um, and the key is going back to what Saul was describing before, the move from product to service to kind of integrated offering, a total solution, and most importantly, the customer experience. Each one of these is a value associated with this, and therefore a willingness of a given segment to pay for this. The same thing is true in the publishing area. <clears throat> and uh, we typically bring in publishing kind of the end of uh, newspapers, and the problem with newspapers, but people still want to write, to hear, read, find out about the news. They just don't want to read it in the traditional form. Uh, even though there is a segment that, that may be lagging behind, segments like, like me, I still like to, to read the New York <laughs> Times, uh, and not online, to read it in, in, kind of in the paper, in the field. But this is a shrinking segment, and what you have to realize is the market is heterogeneous. That's one of the key things we know about marketing. And therefore, you want to offer the news in variety of things. And furthermore, it's a redefinition of news. What is a newspaper? Is it only news? Is it entertainment? Uh, what, so what is the nature of the offering? So I think the publishing industry is now in a situation where they have huge opportunity to reinvent themselves, to think, what is the value proposition? What are we trying to offer the consumers? How do we integrate news with entertainment? My understanding is some data we've seen that uh, younger people get most of the news from John Stewart, 
kind of what is the competition, you know, of the newspaper to a John Stewart type uh, show and delivery. So it's a great opportunity to innovation, great opportunity to rethink what publishing is and what we're trying to do. And in general, I think the Paul Soul's book offers a great opportunity for companies to kind of reinvent themselves and to rethink how can they come up with more innovative solution to a, a traditional area. Because the, you will not be able to innovate if you just stay within the boundaries of your old industry definition. And with the rethinking business models, rethinking revenue models, offer you a great opportunity for innovation. Let me give you one of my favorite examples, which is the, you know, the music industry example again. <coughs> of the industry was under all this pressure. Albums sold for nine ninety nine, typically online. Songs sold for ninety nine cents till industry got Steve Jobs to let them raise that price a little. But a ringtone which is a 10-second clippet of a 99-cent song people were paying two, three, four, five dollars for. So now bits of your overall content are worth more than the whole. That's a pretty good business model if you can make it work. So if you're a book publisher or you're a newspaper, increasingly you're able to take the archive and you're able to monetize content from the archives, in some cases more than the, the original newspaper or the original magazine would have cost you or a chapter in the book for more than what the you know, Amazon price in that book might have been. Well, I'd love to get your thoughts on one other area when talking about innovation in publishing. That is, if you look at what's been happening recently in the Middle East and young people, the vast majority of them have been getting their information not from newspapers, magazines, or even radio or television. They've been getting it from Facebook and Twitter, mm -hmm. especially because of the curbs, uh, even mm -hmm. bypassing curbs that the government put on, on the Internet. Both those happen also to be free services. Uh, how, how then should people think about revenue-generating uh, revenue models in, in, in publishing? Well, but it's, uh, first of all, they're, they're not, in my terms, totally free. Facebook makes a lot of money from advertising, though a lot of people don't realize it's even there, but they're making a lot of money on it. So it, again, it is being monetized. The, the other point is as you get more of that information and use it, it's creating, if you will, stars. It's creating new vehicles around the people who become famous for sharing some of the content over these services. And those people are finding other ways to monetize the celebrity or the status that they've created by being an authoritative source or somebody who contributed to something. So both the provider and the individual are increasingly going to find ways to monetize it or you know, they're going to have to find something else to do with their time. Do you think that in publishing, content creators are being eclipsed by what are called content curators, and what are the implications? Interesting question. Yeah, we do think there's a big role for curation as a value-added service. We think there's a big role for analytics, and companies like Bloomberg have long uh, created value around the analytics. We, we've told people in the information publishing space going back five years ago that they have to do more than just, if you will, provide the information. They have to provide people the tools and capabilities to do different things with that information and they have to provide analysis and insight and increasingly it gets back to the point we make about the experience. There's lots of different ways to monetize it which we outline in the book and based on the experience you can monetize with different audiences in different ways. 
just a, uh, one last question. You have examples in your book about innovative business models that, with involving the progressive insurance, mm -hmm. uh, uh, red box, and mm -hmm. so forth. Could you give us some examples of uh, innovative uh, business models? Sure. Uh, obviously, we're all familiar with some of the ones in the music space where now you can buy singles, you can buy ringtones, you can buy a la carte, um, you know, individual tracks. But people like Netflix came along and turned what was a pay-per-view or buy uh, media experience into a rental media experience. Uh, Redbox came along and provided a... Uh, uh, a less service-oriented, go to a vending machine, lower price way to get that content. So, you know, we talk about the idea of variable pricing. Uh, you can sell different things to different people at different times. The airlines go further, hotels with dynamic pricing. They will sell not only different things to different people at different times, but the price will change at different days or times of the day. So, lots of different ways. What's New is that you take them to a, another industry in many cases. So we talk about Zipcar in the book. The idea that now instead of buying a car or leasing a car, you can subscribe and rent it by the hour, by the day, whatever you want. You get basically charged for your usage of that vehicle, and the vehicles are staggered all over, and you can go use them. Uh, there are examples of advertising in spaces where they've never been used before, such as the... Um, phone business. You can now, instead of paying for information services, you can listen to an ad and get free information services. Even in industries such as medical now, we're seeing people experiment with pricing based on results. So that uh, in some cases where drugs have not been approved by insurance companies, uh, some of the medical uh, drug companies are experimenting with you pay us if it gets results for you. So if it's in the experimental stage and hasn't been approved and your insurance company won't pay it, take the drug. If it lowers your whatever that you're trying to lower and improves your medical condition, then pay us for it. So uh, some of these models, or most of them, have always been around someplace. The question is now applying them in different ways to different businesses. And in the book, we categorize them into three categories. Pricing, where you change the direct price and the way you price to the end consumer. And this applies in a B2B world as well, where we used to invest in assets and build capabilities in companies. Today, we might outsource them and pay somebody over time. We're still paying, but we're paying in a different way to pay Payer innovation is the second category where someone other than yourself pays, and we're seeing many more ways to do advertising or sponsorship or performance-based uh, type of payment that's indirect and from other people. And finally is package innovation, the idea of where you package it with something else or you sell the parts, uh, as we suggested in the, the cell phone or the publishing case. What we think is the real challenge for most companies is they're going to have to have multiple ways of monetizing for different consumer segments who will want to pay in different ways. And some will say, in effect, I want it to be free to me, I'll pay in some other form or somebody else sees value in that. And others will pay directly, I don't want the advertising, I don't want anybody having my name, uh, I'll pay you directly. And even there, there are going to be different ways of doing it. And as I say, the challenge is, how do you do this in a way that makes sense to the different segments uh, for them? and then be able to manage that complexity in your business.
So thank you so much for speaking with us. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity. And please uh, send me a note if you have any questions at saul.berman at us.ibm.com. And uh, please let me know what you think. Not for free. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.